This is InfoSec Decoded, number 65, with robot taxis. But the first thing I want to talk about is offensive rust. You know, my, my career making CTF started with a book called Violet Python, which was awesome. And this guy has started writing offensive tools in Rust for Windows, which are intended to be cross-compiled from Linux. And uh, I wondered if I wanted to teach this stuff. It looks a little bit advanced, but not bad. It, all kinds of cool Windows things, get debug privileges, uh, um, inject shell code, um, and so on. So he has a whole bunch of offensive Rust tools. So I'm going to have to look through that and see what's cool to throw into the Rust projects. But uh, hey. So you yeah. use, you use uh, Linux to build these Windows tools and yes. let them loose. That actually sounds like a great way to learn Rust. Yeah. I mean, I, the great way to learn anything is to write offensive tools. And I wrote a few Rust projects, but they're pretty much defensive. And Caitlin started writing some offensive stuff, and it's pretty hard in Rust. So uh, more examples of good offensive stuff in Rust is very good, I think. I am going to Yeah, I mean, I, Rust, Rust is great. But it's still not 1.0 ready, I found. So it's, I would love to do more stuff in Rust, but they really need to kind of mature it a bit before I'm willing to jump on board. Yeah, yeah. But if you're writing attack tools, that's the, the details don't matter as much. Actually, it kind of does. The last attack tool I ran, I, I wrote with Rust, mm -hmm. uh, failed because the libraries weren't really mature enough to handle oh. what I was doing. So. Oh, well, that's annoying. Yeah. All right. Well, and we'll go to Caitlin that has a toxic workplace. Yeah. So Blue Origin, uh, who is suing NASA and trying to tie up our entire space industry, uh, our, our space exploration, tie up the hopes and dreams of millions of Americans and children. Um, it turns out, shockingly, that their workplace is toxic. So, <laughs> you know, Elon Musk, like yesterday, interviewed at Code, he said, you just have to stop with all the stupid lawsuits. What's wrong with this guy anyway? Yeah, I mean, I'm not entirely sure that Elon Musk should be lecturing others on lawsuits, but... That was his uh, response. He published a list of like all the lawsuits SpaceX made. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, no, but definitely Jeff... Uh, Blue Origin is definitely on a lot of people's um, poo-poo list right now because of, of what they've done. <laughs> About how they're well, so okay. So, I we've covered this before on the podcast, but essentially, what happened is that Blue Origin uh, was competing for contracts to go to the moon, and their rockets weren't ready. They didn't really have much. To sh I mean, they had something to show, but it, you know, uh, it wasn't the best. But uh, NASA decided the contractor that they were going to use was going to be SpaceX. Um, and keep in mind, this is nothing new. Uh, NASA has been using contractors since Age Immortal. I mean, it's, it's just what NASA does. The, the NASA uses outside contractors. But what's interesting is that um, when they didn't get picked, uh, Blue Origin sued NASA. <laughs> and, but, you know, SpaceX's product is just way ahead, right? Way it is. It is. Like I said, like I, I really think NASA made a good decision. I don't know why anyone would, would choose Blue Origin for the moon. But... yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, Blue Origin sued and, and is like tying up the entire space mission to go to the moon and like tying up our, our space exploration program because they want the money. Yeah. And it's like, no, I mean, the, the, the thing is, when you work at NASA, um, you, you kind of take a pay cut, right? Like the astronauts, as much as they are heroes, 
aren't making millions of dollars going to space. <laughs> they're they're oh, making yeah. they're making you know as much as you could be expected to make from a civil servant. Right, it's government yeah. work. That's true of all government work. Yeah, yeah, it's government work. It's it's you, you do it because you, you believe in the mission, um, not for the money. Um, and of course, people love government contracts and whatnot. But this is you know NASA is all about the mission, all about you know, putting our, our hopes and dreams on the stars, doing the public good. And to have grifters come along like Blue Origin and sue NASA, that was bad. Anyway, back to the story. So yeah, toxic workplace, who would have thought? Uh, supposedly there's a lot of sexism and, and harassment that goes on at Blue Origin, um, particularly a lot of sexism. Like one of the things that at, at, uh, at NASA is that they're very big on uh, on having a history of inclusion. Um, there have been several documentaries about uh, hidden figures. Um, uh, historically, so NASA has been really big about, oh, hey, we need to find people who are, you know, not not well represented and, you know, get them in and just find good talent because we're not in this to make money. We're in this to, you know, show off the best of the best of humanity. Mm-hmm. And if you're the best of the best, we want you. We don't care if you're, you know, um, we, we don't care about your background. Just can you do the work that you need to do? Uh, and I was always been been big on NASA. So the fact that Blue Origin um, also has a lot of uh, sexual harassment um, is yeah not is it makes them even less appealing to NASA. I mean, you can't NASA wants nothing to do with that. So, but NASA being government work, I imagine they really really care if you smoke pot. That's usually the problem. That is, yeah, that's the one thing about about the government work uh, <laughs> is that a, a, it is tied to the military. Yep. Uh, you do have secrets. You you are working with ITAR, so NASA really does care about your character, which can be a bit puritan at times, admittedly. But now as this, long as yeah. oh, go on. Now this caught my attention because FEMA, uh, a FEMA security director, took my classes, and he was talking to all the other students. You could totally get a job at FEMA, and they said, but I'd have to quit smoking pot. And that's a deal breaker. Many of my students said that. And I'm like, yes. dude, you know, I really don't feel that way. <laughs> I think a yeah. job is more important, but I guess I'm an old style Puritan, you know? You know, a lot of people who like pot really like pot, you and know, really and I don't, I don't do. judge them. You know, everyone has their, has their things that make them happy and, and that's fine. But yeah. well, for whatever reason, you know, just because you're working with very sensitive information, um, just like any sort of classified job, you know, um, you can't have, you know, an addiction to drugs, a history of like alcohol abuse, you know, stuff like that. You, that, you can be a blackout drunk and cheating on your wife and that's fine in the military. I don't know if it's still true. I, you know, I don't, I, I think if you are blackout drunk yeah. um, and, ex- and showing signs of, of odd behavior at work yeah. um, and you have a security clearance, um, that would get flagged to the FBI. Actually, I think that would not be okay. I would hope so. Yes, yes, uh, but definitely, you know, pot use stuff like that. That's yeah. You there is sort of a Puritan attitude at, at NASA and at the government in general. But that's that has to do with security clearance. Not. Yeah. I don't think anyone really cares if you do pot. <laughs> well, you know, but logically, it's still a felony on the federal laws, and it is a federal job. So yes, they kind they kind of really can't look the other way at breaking federal laws they can they cannot and but like i said the big thing of course is just keeping the the itar um itar secret safe at nasa which is itar uh the international trade and arms agreement stuff so like if you're working on rockets Uh and you have like designs that are top secret or secret 
Well, uh, you're yeah. not. Yeah, that's called ITAR data, and yeah, they oh, okay. they don't like that being shared with our uh, with people that would use it against us for some reason. I don't. Yeah, apparently they wouldn't like it if you just went and gave an ordinary cryptocurrency talk in North Korea either. They'd get all hot and bothered about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's that. That's what. That's very serious. The government really takes that seriously. Is is, you know, and the thing is, in security, we always learn that the worst thing you can do is, is security through obscurity, and yet that's a lot of our our secrets model in the government. But whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bruce Shire said that's really all you ever have is security through obscurity. Uh, well, not in the case of good encryption. I would think not. Anyway, so the, I'm not too surprised by this toxic workplace. As far as I can tell, all these tech billionaires are pretty much sexist pigs that think they can just use them and throw them away. That seems to kind of go with the territory. Yeah, especially since these are pet projects of billionaires and not just, you know, their their original gig or whatever. Yeah, it's it. This doesn't surprise me at all. Like I said, there's it's just a yeah. I mean, Blue Origin has has pinged itself as someone you, you don't want to work with so yeah yeah all right and so urban has got the number one search query on bing i wonder what it is right uh google is battling antitrust regulators in the eu and part of their their argument that hey we're not evil is hey if you look at being our competitor what is their number one search it's us that's not by our doing just we're better so people use that to get to us and of course the only reason they're using bing is because microsoft slams you into bing when you install windows and nobody actually wants bing so all they do is use bing to find google yep that's exactly the argument that they're saying they're probably right about all that I remember we talked about this earlier. The first thing I think is the only thing I ever use Internet Explorer for is to download Firefox. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this is also, I think, probably they could do the same question there. What is the number one thing people do with Internet Explorer? It's probably downloading Firefox or Chrome. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. So that's uh, that was the hilarious argument that came out as as Google continues to fight a five billion dollar fine. Well, remember when Bing was new, Microsoft actually put up a page where you'd have Bing on one side and Google on the other and said, we're going to see how good it is. And like 80% of everybody preferred the Google page. Yep. But, but this is the thing I've always known about Microsoft. It's a cult. They really believe this weird, stupid stuff and you have to, or you'll get fired. So they're like hypnotized into worshiping their products and thinking that they're wonderful and everything else is inferior. Like I remember um, there was a study that if you worked at, or there was an insider leak that if you worked at Microsoft and you had an iPod, when Bill Gates goes by, you had to hide it and pretend you were listening to a Zoom because they wouldn't want anyone being disloyal and using any non-Microsoft anything. And you had to pretend that their inferior Microsoft products were better. And Bill Gates wouldn't let his family use iPhones or iPods. They had to use the inferior Microsoft devices, which they didn't want to use. And I was interested to read that because this is um, this is a fundamental moral problem. When you do not want to know the truth about your stuff, you want to force the people around you to lie and tell you it's good when it's not good. Mm -hmm. That's a really uh, a bad place to be. You know, I would think it would be very useful for your people like your family to tell you what really is the better product. That's like a focus group. Yeah. <laughs> but But they just want to be flattered. They don't want to hear the truth. Anyway, Anywho. yeah, it's a fun one. All right. And Alan 
says uh, every nation has an exploitation program. This according to Rob Joyce, who is director of cybersecurity at the NSA, no less. He was speaking at the Aspen Cyber Summit in Aspen, Colorado. And he had uh, a number of comments on the offensive capabilities of the big four, namely Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea. But the biggest comment, at least in my mind, is his remark that, quote, almost every nation in the world now has a cyber exploitation program. Yeah. Which is really, really interesting. I don't know what a cyber exploitation program is exactly. It sounds to me like offensive cyber uh, uh, capabilities, but I'm just going to say that it's some kind of offensive cyber capabilities. But the fact that almost every country in the world, including presumably uh, lower income countries now have some kind of offensive cyber capabilities is surprising. No, I would think especially low income countries that can't afford stuff like nuclear weapons because it's not only can't afford nuclear weapons, but might not really have a full military, you know, like they've got infantry, but they don't really have an air force. But it's so cheap. I remember the Syrian electronic army that hacked the New York times and everybody was one 17 year old kid that liked Assad. I mean, it's cheap and easy to have a offensive cyber capability. Yeah. But that was, that was just one kid acting on his own, as far as I know, at least initially. Well, but I think that he became the official. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe he was promoted yeah. shortly thereafter. Well, I think that's what you do. You just partner with your local criminal hackers, just sort of like making a deal with the mafia. That's the easy way to do it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess governments have figured this out and they've, they've recruited somehow either through uh, formal education channels or through just uh, cracking down and catching the, the local miscreants, online miscreants. Yeah, well, it's not that different than like terrorism. It's asymmetrical warfare, how the weak can attack the strong. Yes. And I mean, there's a lot of really uh, inventive, deadly hackers in like Iran and uh, Mexico and stuff. And I think another thing is if you are in these poor countries, you get used to making do with old crappy versions of things. You pretty much become a hacker just by force. In addition, of course, you have to pirate all the software because you can't afford to buy it. So actually, it seems very logical to me. If anything, it's much better preparation than uh, growing up in the U.S. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Um, I remember um, there was a when the um, in Central America, the local peasants got discarded uh, dishes from dish antennas and they used them to send signals up to American spy satellites and bounce them off the repeaters and make cell phones out of it. So, you know, I think Americans have this sort of a elitist idea that we're the only ones smart enough to twist and abuse technology, but that is emphatically not true. These poor, uneducated people in small countries can be quite inventive at hacking stuff with their gadgets. Yeah, human ingenuity is universal. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but. If you spend much time outside of the U.S., you come to realize how, as you were saying, Americans seem to have this this notion that they're the smartest people on earth and how very untrue that is. In a way, I would think we might be the dumbest because we're so rich we can afford to buy luxurious gadgets that are automatic instead of having to figure out how to do it with discarded trash. Well, that's entirely true, yes. I, 
if you are in a wealthy country, you don't have to be smart. Yeah. You yeah, can I get mean, away with being dumb. And uh, that does seem to have happened. Yeah, one of the great tragedies of the modern age is that somewhere we have the next Einstein or you know the next genius sitting somewhere um, in a gutter trying to find food that they you know can't you know eat right now because they're just too poor. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true, and I think uh, it also applies to things like not bothering to vaccinate most of the Earth because they're in India or Africa or something. I mean, we're it's that's why I think the diversity people have a very strong case. When they say that, you know, by being bigoted, you are discarding most of the valuable talent. Yeah. All right. And Liz is gone for some reason. But, you know, I always try to be charitable. And when people don't show up, I assume it's just rehab or a felony conviction or something. But anyway, for somehow she's not here. So uh, I've got the Commando VM, which is something I've seen before. Somebody was tweeting about it now, but I really think I should check this out. I've used Kali. Back when I used to teach the offensive pen testing course that I haven't for a few years, I used Kali as the attack tool, but this is the FireEye attack tool and it really looks good. Now I'm taking a better look at it. It goes on Windows, puts on this stuff with chocolatey and it gives you a whole bunch of attack tools that I did not know about. Really dozens of them, just like Kali, but they're all Windows-based attack tools intending to attack Windows. So I'm, I'm thinking I should really got to check this out because now I'm having to write a lot of malware from my instant response class and I'm writing pretty lame, simple malware and learning how to use these tools. I could probably uh, do a better job of making attacks to like practice cheating if you can pick them up with Splunk and Sysmon and stuff. There's just a lot of good stuff in here. A lot of PowerShell attacks, powerless shell and PSMC and PS attack, just lots of good stuff. Evil Clippy. I don't know any of these attacks, and I really think I should learn. Anyway, that's going to be the next toy to play with, Commando VM. And Caitlin has got, oh, yeah, the one where the baby died. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so content warning, people. Uh, this is pretty, pretty bad. Um, Threat Post has an article uh, um, about, um, uh, written by uh, uh, Lisa Voss. Uh, talking about how there was a ransomware attack back in 2019 uh, with the Ryuk, a ransomware. And it kept the doctors from having access to the baby's heart monitors. Um, and basically, because they couldn't monitor the baby's oxygen level, uh, the baby ended up dying because there was ransomware on their machines um, that was being used to keep the baby alive. I mean, and that, that's really the full story. Um, yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, I bet a lot more people have died than this. It's just that you can't tie it directly to the failure of the computer systems. Right. But they kept the hospital open and continued serving patients, even though all their computer systems were down and they had some makeshift attempt to do everything with clipboards, which was not working very well. Nope. So you could argue that they should have closed the place. I mean, and then where would they have gone? I mean, this was this was a newborn baby. They couldn't, I don't know if it, was, if it would have even been possible to transport it in time. Uh, yeah, to get it, you know, yeah. uh, and and doctors should be able to work in an emergency situation uh, with the computer being down. If, even if it's not a ransomware attack, it might be a massive power outage or who knows. Even though uh, hospitals do have big backup generators and batteries and stuff, but you know, just, just that's just worst case scenario. You know, doctors need to be able to work in any situation. Um, but of course, uh, this was avoidable which is what makes it really tragic. And that's, you know, these ransomware people, it's not just 
about getting rich. It's not just an annoyance. Um, this, this stuff costs lives and it's, yeah. it's, it needs to end. Well, yeah, but I mean, I, I don't know if it's all that avoidable. We're trying to find a solution and there isn't much of a solution at hand. Um, and, and, you know, right now we have this situation in many hospitals in America. They've been, I've been hearing a lot of podcasts about it, how right now the number of COVID patients is so large that they are in the same situation where everybody is stretched and they're trying to handle two or three times as many patients as usual. And they say they know that means I'm not able to monitor the alert so carefully. So I'm sure people are dying right now in similar circumstances because of the people that don't get vaccinated. Yeah. It's, um, and they said, you know, they, some, a few states have actually switched to crisis standards of care so they can officially start triaging people. But they say even the ones that haven't officially switched, in fact, the fact is if you go to the hospital now, you are going to get substandard care right? because they, they are being swamped. So, yeah, anyway, uh, this one got a lot of attention. And a lot of people said this happened a few times in Europe too, but this is supposedly the first one from 2019. Yeah. 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 Anyway, um, then, all right, Urban's got the disappearing computer. What is this? Um, I think it, for Amazon being all weird, I think this idea is actually a good one. Uh, what, what Essentially what they're doing is they're getting rid of that layer of the operating system. It's obviously they're, all their devices need an OS to run. Just like it, just like anything else, but their emphasis is more on the user interface, so that the user doesn't have to think about that, about the underlying OS. So this would be like voice control, like Captain Kirk, right? Yeah, yeah. Where you don't, you don't know what kind of machine is in the background. You don't know what software is running to make all that happen. That's that has become just that that's disappeared because you don't think about it anymore. I haven't noticed this happening. I'm still typing all day to control my computer. Oh, yeah, we are. That, that's what we do. Uh, but that's that's where Amazon is taking their their toys is is having this one uniform platform that everything works on everything, and the user doesn't think about anything that's underlying. Well, I guess people have these smart speakers they talk to. Yeah. Um. Are people actually finding they can do all the computing they need by just talking to the device? I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so either. But, yeah. uh, you know, but that's Amazon's goal is that you can. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a fair goal. I think that's certainly true. Yeah. I've heard that uh, people, uh, young kids today cannot write with a pen on paper. They've never done that. All they've ever done is type. That, so, they don't know how to do cursive. Yep. Well, that's a good thing. Um, I, cursive... Yeah, the first thing, one of the things I, I learned um, after being very good at cursive for a long time is I said, stop using cursive. Well, yeah, I don't, it's pretty hard to read and pretty hard to write. I never liked it much. But uh, yeah, well, I know another thing is they, they said uh, this picture of a floppy disk people click on, people have no idea what that is. You mm -hmm. click on this thing to save it, but I have no idea what that drawing is supposed to be. It looks kind of like a house. What is that weird thing? Yep. 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 That makes sense. All right. And Alan has got Malwarebytes. Yes. Malwarebytes has published a report called Demographics of Cybercrime. And uh, one, of course, should always be a little suspicious of reports coming from commercial entities, reports that probably 
serve to further their own commercial interests. Well, you know, that's the thing I was going to say. Malwarebytes has a lot of good research, but in fact, I tell everybody with a Mac that puts that on that it's not, that it's junk and they should take it off. Yeah, <laughs> the product but... is pretty much malware itself. <laughs> yeah, but I will say that in this case, this particular survey is interesting because it appears to be asking the question that no one else has, which is, are there demographic differences in the effect of cybercrime on individuals? I'm not aware of any other research, uh, academic research, that has looked at how cybercrime might affect different groups differently. And in fact, according to this report from Malwarebytes, there are significant differences in how malware or cybercrime, I should say, cybercrime affects different groups, demographic groups. Um, yeah, I would think so, yeah. And some of the big takeaways from the survey include the fact that half of all respondents do not feel private online. So clearly- They're right. That means the trust issue there, and it really should be 100%, but at least half of them got the message. Yeah. Um, and that 31% of respondents do not feel safe online. Uh, again, that's much lower than it should be. But um, more specifically, women in general feel less safe online than men. And that's 35% compared to 27% for men. Yeah. Um, and 46% of women said that they had their social media accounts hacked, 46% versus 37% for men. Um, Those numbers are both pretty high. Yeah, very, both very, very high. And I'm not sure how they were defining this social media account getting hacked, but credentials stolen, presumably. Um, phishing, maybe. Yeah, maybe phishing, yeah. Uh, and in particular, Black, Indigenous, and people of color had the lowest rate of avoiding financial impact due to cyber crime. So in other words, um, they suffered greater financial impacts from cyber crime. Um, hmm. And uh, so white respondents had a much lower rate by 12% that uh, were unaffected versus um, if what is it, um, only 47% of black indigenous people of color uh, avoided some kind of financial impact. And in particular, uh, women and black indigenous people of color, color respondents experienced substantial stress when dealing with suspicious online activity. So uh, this really does raise some interesting questions about um, perhaps targeting um, certain people, certain groups get targeted online more, um, and, and then the consequences of this. And of course, Malwarebytes, uh, solution in this report is to say, well, everyone should install antivirus and more specifically should install Malwarebytes antivirus, yeah. uh, which is a rather naive approach to, uh, addressing these problems. Which I don't think would fix any of the problems you mentioned. It wouldn't stop your social media from getting hacked. It wouldn't stop financial crime that tricks you. Right. Uh, aside from possibly getting rid of keyloggers and maybe preventing you from going to, uh, 
like, known fishing sites. Very fishing, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It really well, cannot be addressed by antivirus at all. Yeah. Well, anyway, it, like I said, they actually do have a lot of interesting research for a company that seems to be wholly evil otherwise. I don't get it anyway. Um, but I certainly, I'm sure there's huge racial differences. One thing I've noticed is that there is a black Twitter community that occasionally send me tweets and they've got a lot of slang and a special language. I can't understand what's going on. There's, and there's clearly a different, a whole culture ethnically based there sort of like a neighborhood of town where stuff is going on that i can't follow and i'm sure they have different uh different crimes going on there and different uh, expectations well one last thing i should say about this study is that um it is an international study mm -hmm. uh, respondents were from the us the uk and germany but that's only three countries uh and hardly representative of the world and it's also, it was run by one of these online uh, survey platforms in which the respondents were paid. And I don't know how they recruited them. And yeah. uh, also the report does not include the raw statistics, the raw numbers, the raw data, nor does it include the actual questions that were used in this. So there are a lot of caveats and it would be very interesting to have a proper academic study. Um, yeah. looking at this, the, these very questions. Yeah, you know, that reminds me of another article I saw a week ago where a bunch of social scientists are complaining because there's, a, there's a, some website where you can put up a survey and people earn like, you know, 50 cents for taking the survey. Oh, I saw that, yeah. And some, some teenager made a TikTok about, hey, you can make money by taking all these surveys. And it went viral. So suddenly thousands of these teenage girls were taking all the surveys and all these researchers said, it's skewing our findings. We used to have like only 20% teenage girls. Now it's 90% teenage girls all at once. Why is this happening? So apparently they were not doing any controls. You know, they were just taking whoever came in and then hoping it was a random sample. So that highly makes me suspicious of their work. Yeah. Although apparently shortly thereafter, the, um, the teenagers all left. The platform so oh sure they, that's like most of these crazes they hit for a while and then they're out of fashion yeah but it does show that uh it makes you worry about research i know before this almost all research was done with college students you would make your students in your class take the survey and right, a lot of medical problem with just about every psychology study yeah and a lot of medical studies too in fact one huge thing in medical studies is that almost all medicine is tested only on men and they don't test enough of it on women yeah anyways it certainly is a big issue that you don't you don't really uh different communities are using things differently and you have to be careful to measure that anyway i saw this one earth is dimming which is you know one thing that came out about a month ago is that the rate of global warming is much bigger than even the worst case that's why people are really freaking out and panicking they're saying we thought we had like 20 or 30 years in fact we're already at the 1.5 degree mark and going up really fast. And they said something was wrong in our predictions. And I wonder if this is it. Maybe they thought of this, but there was a belief that when the earth warmed, the oceans would evaporate more and it would make more clouds reflecting more sunlight. And it is the opposite. For some reason, the earth warming means less clouds of the type that reflect sunlight. And they measured the albedo. They've been measuring it for years. They got a graph here that goes back to 2000 or so. They've been measuring the amount of Earth light that is reflected off the moon. So the sun hits the Earth and it bounces off the moon and measuring the moonshine. And it falls a lot 
and it falls a lot more rapidly in the last few years. So the Earth is now much less reflective than it used to be. So it is absorbing more heat from the sun. And this is not a small effect. They say this is enough to explain a large portion of the global warming we've been observing. So it's a positive feedback effect. And that's quite important. And uh, we'll see what comes of this. It, it, I know some of the proposals, I think we're really going to have to look seriously at um, things to reflect the sunlight away, artificial attempts to cool the earth now. I think our attempt to uh, hold back the CO2 of growing in the air has failed. And our attempt to suck the CO2 back out of the air, we're totally not ready for that. So people have proposed things that would, geo, that would terraform earth. And one of the proposals is to shoot like a metallic dust way up high in the atmosphere to make, to stimulate more clouds up high to reflect the sunlight. And we might be down to that. That and dumping iron filings in the ocean to suck up a lot of CO2. These, these are where you, uh, you now put up a different kind of pollution to try to compensate for the first kind of pollution. And I think we're going to really have to start doing that because we really need to act fast. And I think all our other plans to like, uh, change our power plants and stop burning coal and everything are not going to happen fast enough. Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing um, that we put so much of our energy into finding alternatives to fossil fuels. And I think it's time to really start putting a lot of our energy now into because uh, that, that has not been working as, as well as we wanted. Uh, it's, it's now time to start putting a lot of effort into things like carbon capture. Well, yeah, but carbon capture, the only kind of carbon capture that even is remotely affordable and effective is to catch it in the smokestack of the plant. Once it's out and smeared around everywhere, trying to suck it out of the air at a concentration of a few hundred parts per billion is just so inefficient. I don't think we're ever gonna, I don't think in a decade we can possibly get any carbon capture technology running at a scale that would make a difference. It, maybe not, but it's definitely, I mean, it's at, at this point, like I said, we really need to work on on triaging the, the situation. and. And creating technologies to reduce carbon emissions, I mean, it's a little too late at this point. Yeah, I mean, that's so. the right thing to do to help in 20 years. But our immediate need is to do something to cool the earth now. And that would be involving adding more pollution. Just like or, if you're taking chemotherapy, you take another drug to kill the nausea. Right. Or, or what we can do is we can dump a giant ice cube in the ocean every year. If we had one, you'd have to get like a ice satellite. I know... I wondered, you know, we were talking a few podcasts ago about the uh, the asteroid that is like a million tons of gold. It seems like you would just go grab that thing and bring it down and be rich. Uh, and completely crash the economy while you're at it. Well, you, you could tell yourself that we will be like disciplined and put it in Fort Knox and only dole it out. But, you oh, know, man. but I mean, I, but I would think somebody like Elon Musk would totally do that. I mean... <laughs> Anyway, um, but we certainly need to do something drastic to cool the planet, I think. Yeah, the, the time for you know, personal responsibility and re legislating the, the, um, the companies is quickly passing. We need to start really move from prevention to sure. active, active care, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, recycling your trash and riding the bus is not gonna do it. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so you got new USB labels. Yes, finally. Uh, so this has been a complaint of mine ever since USB-C came out. So the idea behind USB-C, and this this goes back to your your thing, Sam, where if you come out with 
you, you have all these confusing standards. So you come out with another one to fix it. Now you have another confusing standard on top of it. And that's exactly what happened to USB-C. Um, so PC World has an article by Gordon Ung talking about the new USB cable certification program. So what's the problem? Well, we came out with a port that does everything. And it turns out that's not as awesome as it sounds at first glance. Uh, because it turns out when you have a port that's, for example, made for video or data transfer, the cables are therefore made for video or data transfer. If you have ports for power transfer, you have cables designed for uh, power transfer. But when you have both a cable, a port that's designed for like power transfer, data, video, whatever, uh, then it turns out that some cables will be really good at power, some cables will be really good at data, and you, you kind of don't know which is which, and it became a big mess really quickly. Uh, so finally, years later, it looks like the USB standards groups, uh, the, I guess this is part of the IEEE, um, are trying to put labels on cables themselves, saying what kind of cables these are. So you have the, the three that, that, that are mentioned here uh, is a 40 gigabits per second USB cable. So that's for data. So, you know, if you pick up a, a 40 gigabit per second cable, that's, that's good for your hard drives and stuff. They also have a 240 watt label for cables, which would be good for charging. And they also have a combined cable of uh, 40 gigabits per second, 240 watts. So you can tell, oh, I can use this for everything, um, as well as a certified USB charger for, um, for packaging. So if you wanna know if your cable is good for charging, you know on the box. So if you use the data cable for charging, does it set fire to your house? Um, I don't think it'll set fire to the house. It definitely, there's gonna be too much resistance on the line. So the uh, so here's the thing. Um, when you transfer power, you, you kind of need thicker, more expensive cables uh, because the, the amount of current that passes through mm -hmm. uh, will depend on the gauge of the wire. Uh, so if you have a very, like a 10, 10 AWG ca uh, cable, which should be fine for data and small and is very, in keeping with modern trends of making everything light and sleek, um, that's not going to handle much power, but you know, it can handle like 500, you know, milliwatts, whatever. That's fine. Uh, 500, uh, 500 milliamps, I'm sorry, of, of power. Um, it, it, it can do that. But when you, when you're trying to charge a, a larger device, like a tablet or a laptop, uh, you need thicker cables because you're going to be pushing through much more current. Um, and, so you, you need to take your cables. But of course, that doesn't necessarily mean that your, your data transfer is going to be very good because data transfer requires a different set of uh, requirements, mostly interference avoidance. Um, so you want like shorter length cables that are properly shielded, uh, that you know are, are wire wraps uh, together in twisted pairs correctly and everything. And, and then that too is a big, big daily boob, you know, making sure that there's, there's as little interference as possible to get the data as high as the data rate as high as possible. Uh, so you have two different types of cables that you could really make. And it is possible to make one cable that does it both. Don't get me wrong, it's just very expensive, um, which is, yeah. So hopefully this will this will end some of the confusion. So people will know when they pick up a cable, whether it'll be good for, for data or for power. So how are they gonna mark them? Because I know in fiber optics, we have this problem and they just adopted color codes, orange for multi-mode, yellow for single mode. That would be one way to go. So they're going to put logos on the ends of the cables. Little tiny logos you can't see. Exactly. So you put them under a microscope, then you can see what's, what's going on. So perfect. Problem solved. I would, have, I would have preferred to have color codes. That works pretty well in fiber optics. Yeah. Uh, color codes would be nice too, except 
I mean, I'd worry about future proofing because right now we can say 240 watts uh, for USB-C, but if like USB 5.0 comes out and we say we're going to up it to uh, 360 watts, because already we, there are a few laptops that exceed 240 watts of power. Well, then um, even more important to make sure you don't grab the wrong cable. I'm still for color coded. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the thing is, it's, it's not going to burn everything down if you grab the wrong cable. But okay. um, yeah, no, I, I agree too. I think color codes would be a good idea. Um, I, logos are at least an improvement because right now there's nothing. You have no way of telling if your, your cable is good or not for what it's doing, which is yeah. worse than, than what we had previously, which is just a bunch of different ports. Um, and people yeah. were complaining, why don't we have this one port? Well, this is why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it actually has to be a different cable, it would probably be good if it had a different end. So you just physically can't use it in the wrong case. Exactly. That yeah. makes sense. But, you know, this was a grand experiment. Um, <coughs> and it's, it was, you know, it sounds good on paper, but in practice, you really do, you know, your cables need to be, need to be designed for the purpose that they're trying to accomplish. So. Yeah, this is why the EU passing a rule that everything has to be USB-C. Maybe they didn't think that through. Well, uh, hopefully, like I said, now they're they're putting these logos on the cables. This will be a huge help. Yeah, maybe. All right. And so Irvin has a bad boss. Um, yeah, yes, actually, but <laughs> um, so this article is specifically on uh, just pointing out that that employees are just it doesn't work to to micromanage that keeping keeping the the bosses keeping their nose uh, they're just watching every little thing that the employees are doing it doesn't doesn't breed a, a productive environment where they create you know where they're free to create a lot of people love it though and now they, they have a list software right to monitor everything you do right right all all of that just makes people more stressed out it makes them I hate where they're working uh, rather than giving them the freedom to, to create and do. I remember 30 years ago, I saw a survey that said that when they interviewed bosses, like 90% of them said, the employees are a bunch of lazy bums that would rather do nothing. And my real job is to somehow catch them and like make them work and force them to work. When they interviewed employees, 90% of them said, then said, my best day is when I show up for work and everything's ready to go and I can get something done. And I really hate it when I can't proceed. And it's not like I need the boss to like make me work. I just need the boss to remove the obstacles that are in my way so I can have a good day and get work done. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but that, that was 30 years ago. I guess this hasn't really percolated through management culture yet, but. No, I don't think it has. No, but I think it's the same thing with our students, right? I think there are some teachers that see themselves as like poking and prodding and kicking their students along, but I find it a lot better to just remove the obstacles so the students can learn something. They came here to learn something, at least in my classes. I mean, there's people who are like forced to take some required class they hate. And I guess it's a different story there. But when you're teaching hacking, then the people are there because they want to be there. Mm -hmm. And they just want you to like give them the right tools and remove the obstacles so they can do it. Right. Yeah. Right. Anyway. All right. And Alan has robo-taxis. I thought this is great. I made it the title. Robo-taxis. Yes. If you happen to see a Waymo or cruise vehicle in California, you may want to give it extra distance because the California Department of Motor Vehicles just issued permits to those you two mean, countries. Or you, regard, you regard it as more dangerous than a human? 
<laughs> well, I have the opposite feeling. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I've seen them driving around San Francisco and their driving behavior is rather erratic at times. Oh. So, yes. Um, now, of course, they have been driving around the city and the state for years now. This is not new. But the, the, these permits that have been issued by the um, California DMV allows the two companies to charge passengers as in robo taxi service yeah um and that these vehicles can be without a driver at all fully driverless that sounds so, great well I, it's great in a way yeah maybe if the driving is actually good but uh oh all those tesla accidents make me wonder yeah, I saw a video of a guy like testing out the new Tesla auto driving and it was not reassuring. It got confused at the crosswalks, confused at the lanes. And it was not like a, it was in fact, not as good as the average driver. Yeah, I mean, average driver who is distracted on a, uh, you know, texting, doing something on their cell phone is of course a greater menace than AV, but uh Otherwise, I have my doubts. <laughs> yeah, I'm that's just me. I, I'm very suspicious of technology. So, yeah, maybe I'll let Wait. other people ride these things for a while. They can do the beta testing. Well, I, I think it's that's probably the safest place to be. Uh, in the case of cruise, they their vehicles are only permitted to go up to thirty miles per hour, so not that fast to be in a car accident if you're inside, but if you're outside, say as a pedestrian or a cyclist, then that's bad news. I wonder if it detects whether you put on your seatbelt. I would hope so. Uh, yes, definitely. All right. Well, good. Well, that's it for this one. And we will be back on Tuesday. Let me find my button. There it is.